0: Welcome to the 50th Grayscale Gorilla podcast episode. Give it up.
1: Ever. Woo! I'm trying to get a tweet ready, but I'm trying to get a tweet out. So 50. The big 5 people.
0: So this is our 50th podcast. They said it couldn't be done. We're here to prove them wrong. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Uh, we're looking like the, uh, the viewers are, are climbing steadily here. It's good to see everybody out there. Uh, you know, watching us here on our 50th episode. Um, I'm going to try to get the chat going here. And let's now don't forget here. that this is
2: also recorded and many people here are not watching live and they're going to be a little sad. So let's that describe. First of all, 50th episode, we're, we're recording this live. Um, but if you missed it, what we're going to do today is what? What are we doing here?
0: Well, we are bringing the Grayscale Gorilla podcast to the people. And we're going to sit here and we're going to answer questions. <laughs> and we are going to uh, talk about the events of the day, just like our regular old podcast. But instead, we're going to do it live and hopefully interact with some of these awesome people that are showing up now. It looks like we've got 99 viewers here, a lot of people in the chat. Yep. Um, up. You, so you guys can, I'm just going to say hello to everyone
1: manually. Uh, to yeah. Every single person. Hi, Rick. Hi, Wayne. Hi, Joel. Hi, Chris. We're, we'll be doing it the whole time. I know. So
0: I don't know if there's a way for me to show the the control room or the sorry, the chat in uh, in this room where we are. You guys will probably have to log into that URL that I gave you. And just I, I have
1: the chat. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Just do it in there and it's probably fine.
2: Anyway, answer some questions, baby. Bring well, the questions.
0: Let's, let's start off. For, for anybody that's new to our podcast that maybe have, hasn't checked it out before, we've, this is our 50th episode. We recommend going back and watching, I don't know, maybe not all 50, but the 25 that we're together on are pretty good. I can't well, speak to the, the other generation.
1: Ones. That's yeah. true. Um, so, yeah, my name is Chad Ashley. We got Chris Schmidt. Say hi, Chris. Hi, everybody. How's it going? I got new lighting in my room. Thanks, Chad. No problem, buddy.
0: And we got our good pal, Nick Campbell, the gorilla himself.
2: Hi, everybody. I'm from the I'm I'm tuning in from the car today. So uh, hopefully my Wi-Fi or my cellular data is going to work okay. I'm out (laughs) in the middle of Nebraska uh, in the just starting my road trip out west. And so hopefully I'm looking good, sounding good. And uh, I'm ready, ready to talk to the crew. Fifty, fifty episodes is awesome.
0: Yeah. So what is uh, so twenty five with the three of us, twenty five before that. What was our, before we get into the show, I just want to ask which, which one was your favorite so far? Let's start with you, Chris. What's your, what's your favorite episode of the podcast? all of us
1: are going to have the same favorite. And that was when we were talking about Mac versus PC. And it's when I had just recently changed over to having a PC. I'm still, I bounced between the two. Uh, and, And we had Nick kind of going through like a little existential crisis, like right on the podcast. It was amazing. It was, it was so much fun. Me
2: slowly, I'm slowly realizing I I, I might actually have to own a Windows computer. That uh, that was that was a good hour. You could actually see my, uh, you know, when the Grinch smiles in the Christmas movie, you know, <laughs> and he smiles and smile. That was me, but it was like opposite. Over the hour, it was just more and more sad. <laughs> and
0: um, yeah, that's a good one. That that I think I will agree. That was probably my favorite one because it. Um, it it was the one where Nick was like the most real and the most raw, I think, because it really did. It kind of made him think about how he's going to approach computers in the next ten years, and you can see the look on your face where you just kind of like this, like kind of scared but like willing <laughs> kind of look in your face. It was pretty amazing. Well, that's why
1: that's why we watch movies and TV shows and whatnot. We want to see character arcs, and we saw an arc in that episode. How often do you get that I know. on the podcast? I know. It was It
0: was like you couldn't have planned it any better than that. I felt like it was a perfect representation of, of what you were thinking at that time. Anyway, um, so we're going to kick this off with a little bit of GSG news like we always do. Um, so we've got uh, our last tutorial last week, which was Soft Bodies by our very own Chris Schmitz, doing very well. Uh, if you haven't checked that out, please go take a look. Chris breaks down all of the weird parameters in Cinema 4D soft bodies, and kind of make sense out of them. Because that's something that, you know, I think is really cool because a lot of times they name these things in such strange ways that you're not really sure what to do. You're like, I want to get something that's kind of gelatinous, but I don't know the settings. Uh, Chris, you want to talk a little bit about your tutorial?
1: Uh, yeah, I actually just put the... Uh No, it didn't let me put the link. I was going to put the link in the chat. But uh, yeah, it was just a a little quicker tutorial, trying to aim for something a little bit faster, tackling the soft body settings. And the goal in that tutorial, it's about a half hour long. The goal is to be able to intelligently change the settings. I think if most people, and, and even me often, it's like, oh, I need something kind of jello-y. and you just keep on changing settings until it looks more and more and more jello-y. Where hopefully after you watch this tutorial, you'd be like, I want to make jello. I know I need to change this setting, this setting, and this setting to these amounts. Cool. Now I've got it. Um, so that's the goal in that one. So
0: yeah, I, I really like that one because um, coming from using different softwares, like you kind of realize that like each piece of software has like their own word for like dampening and all the that crap. Damping. So Damp and Damping. Damping. Yep, that's, okay. that's
1: a tough one. It's that's not damping. Tough. It's not dampening, which is what I want to say. It's damping. 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 Okay. So that's that's uh, on our
0: site now. It's also, actually also on YouTube, which you are already at if you're watching this. So um, don't leave the show to watch it. Just add it to your brain and watch it later. <laughs> um, so... What else is going on? We got we got a new tutorial coming out this week. Hopefully, it's going to be uh, Nick talking about <laughs> displacements. Uh, Nick, you want to tell us about what you got yeah, planned? Yeah. Well.
2: Yeah. So hopefully, um, I'm actually working today to make sure that that gets uploaded. Um, I left for my road trip and uh, thought I uploaded it to YouTube, and uh, now I can't access my um, my main office computer. So we're gonna we're gonna pull a little uh, MacGyver move get some friends, some keys, my wife might help out. They're going to break into my office. They're going to make sure that that uh, tutorial is uploaded for you guys. And it's going to be all about um, subpoly displacement and also the displacement um, modifier. Is that, yeah, the, the, the displacement deformer, that's what it's called. And when I made the original subpoly displacement tutorial, it was like 2009, 2010, and I don't even think that that displacement modify or that displacement deformer was was even a thing at the time um it, hmm. the only way to do all that uh, little detail was through subpoly displacement and that was it and so in this tutorial i show you the sub-poly way of making you know geometry move and deform but then i show you it the way that i've been doing it for the last few years that we actually don't really have a, a tutorial about um or at least a short t- tutorial about all about how to get a deformation on your geometry with a noise pattern. You could use images. In fact, if you saw Chris's tutorial where he made that um, galaxy, uh, what would you call that thing? It was like a galaxy map that you expanded out and deformed the um, the, uh, the Hubble telescope photo.
1: Oh, are you talking about the like oh. the the hair pillar tutorial?
2: Kind of. You took the photo of um, of the uh, galaxy stuff, and oh, ex- there's a live show one, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, if you want to learn about displacing geometry, check for that tutorial tomorrow. And there's also a bonus tutorial coming out as well, all about all the color correction, Photoshop, um, all the little tweaks that I did after I hit render to help make that stuff, um, look even better. And it's all based on some daily renders that I did, I don't know, a couple weeks ago now. Um, that was all this deformed geometry with physical render. Uh, so check it out. I, I, I'm really excited uh, to get these out. They're, short punchy tutorials and there should be out you know in the next uh maybe one tomorrow and hopefully in the next week for the second one as well wow i had a lot of coffee guys i mean wow i go on a road trip and i'm sitting in a car for eight hours a day trying to drive across out west and coffee is a big part of this process so if i'm talking too fast sorry about that and um oh and 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 to answer the question too my favorite uh podcast episode was last week doing the Q and A. Uh, I really enjoy that format because it, it makes us kind of think on our feet a little bit. And I'm also excited that this week we're doing more Q and A from uh, the live stream. Is that right?
1: The plan.
0: That's the plan. Yeah. In the- fact, it's a, it's a perfect segue to um, uh, a, there's two segues I could choose from in my head that popped up while, while you were describing your favorite, uh, your favorite podcast. Um, and your tutorial, because somebody asked on the on the chat over here, Volley uh, asks, what about your upcoming products, GSG Luts? What is this going to be? And this is a perfect opportunity to talk about Grayscale Gorilla LUTs. For those of you that don't know and maybe have seen us talk about it or maybe seen the hashtag um, in the second tutorial that, that Nick's going to be uh, putting out, we'll kind of touch on this product. And it's a really cool product. We're very excited about it. It's really, um, if, for those of you who don't know what a LUT is, it's a lookup table. It's essentially a fancy word for uh, color creating color grade. Um, Typically, they were used to kind of emulate film stocks. So if you're doing VFX in a film, you might use one to emulate a certain stock that the film was gonna go out to. But then somewhere along the lines, people realized that a LUT is actually a really cool way to store color grade, a look, that you put on your footage, your render, whatever and it's stored as a file and this LUT file can be loaded into just about every kind of Adobe app you can think of to to create and and apply a really cool color look. So we at Grayscale Gorilla kind of pooled all of our favorite looks together and all of our favorite color grade uh, kind of vibes that we've done over the years and created a huge library of LUT files that you can use in Photoshop, Uh, you can use in After Effects, Premiere, Nuke, Fusion, whatever it is that can accept a LUT file, you can use these. So we're that's very soon we're going to be announcing and, and talking about GSG LUTs, and it's a really cool product. It's, it's great for photography. It's great for your renders. It's great for anything that you want to throw some really cool color on, really. So we're super excited about that. Uh, but let's get over to the chat and see Wait, wait, I got, what, I got one thing as we oh, said. you got something?
1: Um, okay, go ahead. And I'm going to even put a link in there as well. Okay, everybody, we're going to be starting to take your questions. So we want you to start putting questions in the chat and then we'll try and tackle as many of those as we can. But I have a request for everybody in the chat. Don't try, try not to ask us technical questions about software because that's not fun to talk about in a podcast. <laughs> Um if you do have especially if you have Cinema 4D questions I run a live show every Wednesday called Ask GSG and hopefully that link pops up but they don't seem to like links in there so but anyway if you just look for uh C4D live or um I'll put I'll pull a tweet out but I do a live show every Wednesday where you can come in and ask Cinema 4D questions and we spend 2 hours just answering Cinema 4D and Photoshop and you know motion graphics questions so try and save your technical technical questions for that day uh, but start throwing your questions at us in the chat and uh yeah let's do that
0: all right so you've gotten the rules let's see if everybody (laughs) plays by the rules oh look there your thing just came up um jesse van aldrin wants to know hi fellas how do you start the creation process um is there a lot of real life sketching involved um I, I'll start with that one and we'll pass it to the group. I used to sketch all the time. Like that was kind of what you know, what I did all through high school and college is draw, 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 draw. And then somewhere along the lines, I learned 3D and I started to draw less and I drew less and I drew less and less and less. So now for me, my sketch process is pretty much non existent. I don't really do it other than to like sketch out a really, really rough idea. So no, I don't really sketch. I go right to the computer. That's kind of become my. I got so proficient at it that I just started working uh, that way. But I know, um, I know, Chris, you sketch,
1: right? You have you sketch pretty regularly. Uh, I, I enjoy drawing and sketching but I do it at completely pretty much completely unrelated to any 3d like if I'm doing a daily render or any kind of project along those lines I don't the only time does, that I might sketch something before doing it 3d would be some sort of character which is not which is just something I do for fun every once in a while so yeah sketching is not part of my 3d process but if, if I was doing more production that maybe I would but I'm not so but I do enjoy drawing how about you Nick do you draw still?
2: Um, no, I'm not really, really good with a pencil or anything. I, um, I think it's important if you work in a, in a large team to make sure that people understand like what you're trying to do, but I don't even think a sketch is good for that. So I, I would, what I would say if it's actual advice to this, to this person is, um, you know, do, do what makes, what, what brings out the creativity in you. Like if you're a good drawer or that, that frees your mind up to like get ideas, do that. But I would say uh, get to the, if you're working on your, by yourself, get to the computer as fast as possible because that's where you're going to find the mood and the tone and the, and the style of it more. Um, I don't know. Sketching has just never been a part of my, my, um, uh, my creative process. It just starts in Photoshop if it's working with a team and I just go straight to cinema if, if I'm working by myself.
0: Cool. Well, um... Yeah, I mean, I think that it's kind of different for everybody, and and whatever works for you, you know, do that. I mean, it, it's something that I wish I were better at drawing, but it's just unfortunate that I I just I don't do it as much anymore. Um, so let's keep this moving, Chris. Why don't you pick a question and we can just kind of oh, like goodness. each we can each take a turns qu- picking questions, or I can just moderate. It's up to you guys. Uh, I wasn't looking for the yeah.
2: questions. Yeah, Chad, if you if you want to moderate, maybe, and then um, yeah, I'll and go. Just hand That's it fine. on.
0: All right, so we got another question here um, about hardware, and I'm just going to, anybody that's wondering what kind of hardware we rock and what we're into, they can just go to our website, and we have a page on there called Resources, and it breaks down what everybody uses in terms of gear. So, yeah, if you want to know anything about that, you can just uh, open up a tab and and check that out while you're listening or or whatever. But, yeah, it lists all of our hardware, our software, even a little pocket dump where we kind of talk about what we... Bring with us everywhere that we go. Um, so yeah, Wait, that, I,
1: I've got a question here. Yeah, asked. Um, Mark is asking about uh, what how we tackle speeding and timing in terms of animation. What makes mm. for a good flowing animation? It's a bit abstract, but I think timing of an animation is everything, and that is true. I'm going to start at the beginning of this one. Go um, for it. I, I had a teacher one time say that that animation, like, keyframes, you know, keyframes are, like, like you think of, like, a character, you get the key poses, like, they strike that pose, and that's, like, a master pose. And it's, like, those are great, but those are keyframes. Actual animation is what happens getting from a pose to another pose. That's the animation. So your keyframes are great, but it's the arcs that happen between those that is the real animation. But overall, just speaking very abstractly when it comes to animation, I think it's important to think of it in the way you would, like, a picture or even music where you want to have areas of contrast. Like you might want something moving very quickly in isolation, but another thing you want, nice, smooth, broad strokes and adding kind of like a flow and some variation to, you know, you you don't want it to get overly repetitive. You don't want a whole bunch of really fast animation all the time. It should go fast and then suddenly something quick. And then slow down and then a little repetition and then something big and broad and then some really tiny, subtle animation, like mixing that all in together. That's how you create like a cool flow and visual interest, at least for me.
0: No, that's good. That's a great point. I, I, I think a lot of it too, um, even things that are beyond motion design animation and kind of dip more into character animation. You can get a lot from, from reading books by Preston Blair and, uh, Uh, You know, learning from some of the Disney, you know, the greats at Disney, there's so many books out there that describe what animation is at its most fundamental form. And it's just the breaking up of time and being able to do what Chris said and create ebbs and flows and hold when you need to hold and, and let things play out and when to let things breathe. And I think, you know, getting a little bit nitty gritty, one thing that I see I don't see enough of is anticipation, and anticipation is an animation technique where um, uh, something needs to anticipate. You need to, yes, there it is the animator's survival toolkit uh, that Chris is holding up, uh, a very awesome book. Um, but anticipation is a really powerful uh, animation technique that allows people to. Kind of anticipate the motion of your character. Like if you if you look at anything, something always kind of sits back before it goes forward, and it builds up. You can kind of almost tell it's like bringing energy in and then flying out. So um, yeah, anticipation is a really huge uh, element. And um, what do you think, Nick? What's what's your take on that?
2: Yeah, I've always seen uh, animation as is is this. It's all everything's about contrast, right? So when you have words on the page the only reason you can read them is because of the surrounding uh like white paper with the black ink right or the reverse and same with sound like the only the only thing that really makes uh the the sound important is that there's no sound before it um and so with animation like chris had it right with with it's fast fast slow kind of style and for me i'm always thinking of it through music i i come i came through animation through music um And I I literally animated to music and I tried to like bring out an instrument into a little, you know, a little uh, sphere or a a cube moving around in After Effects. And that's how I learned to animate. I think there's, for me at least, there's something there with music that informs that ability uh, to go fast and slow and take a break. So if you think, like even open up a piece of music that has a lot of contrast to it. And this is why electronic dance music and stuff is so great for animating to, um, and like why why like half the demo reels started using um, like dubstep kind of stuff because there's so much contrast in that music. It's like loud and quiet and soft and it stops. And so find a little chunk of music, ten seconds long that has contrast, and animate to it and make it look like they're dancing to the music, or or your, or even just use a little sphere right just animate a little cube to dance to the music and you'll start to feel that that like emotion of fast and slow and i sometimes i do it with my hands as well where i'm i'm trying to animate with my hands first to understand the speed and then i'll try to translate it so if i'm listening and i'm like there's a move right there so like you Feel free to download that little bit right there if you want to get it's sick perfect. of my voice. And loop, Already listen done. To that loop. But but take that little phrase, right? The way that a jazz musician would take a phrase and build a little piece out of it and and bring that phrase into uh, your animating program and and animate to that. And you'll start to see um, some of those, some of that speed differences.
0: That's actually a really, a really good. Point. I think um, we may have had this conversation once before about the importance of audio in animation, even if you're not even if you're not animating to an audio track. I I think I remember reading a story once or maybe it was in an animation class where uh, the Warner Brothers animation team, uh, the Bugs Bunny, 1930s, 1940s even if they didn't have a piece of music kind of decided on yet for the, for the piece, they always were animating to some orchestral track that would help them with their tempo because tempo to them when they're doing those kinds of stories were so, was so important for hitting beats. And I think music does this naturally where you just kind of, it's such a, uh, it's just ingrained in our DNA to anticipate when something's going to happen in music that you kind of take it for granted. And when you start to work with animation that's timed out to music, it starts to feel more natural because it's hitting on a beat or it's hitting on, uh, you know, every other beat or something. And even if animation, if you're animating um, to music that's not even going to be used, it can be helpful just for timing purposes.
1: That, that sounds like yeah, a nice little segue to the other bit of news that you didn't mention yet, Chad. Oh, Please. yeah. Yeah. Do you want me to mention it, or do you want to mention it? Go for it. So I'm not
0: sure how many of you out there um, have been following stuff that's been going on uh, Twitch lately and whatnot, but um, uh, the DJ Dead Mouse actually started Twitch Twitch casting i don't know what you call it i'm not a twitch person but started he started twitching uncontrollably streaming live streaming yeah, yeah there we go thank you i was struggling for that word for some reason Just started <laughs> twitching we're doing right now <laughs> so yeah exactly so he was streaming himself uh in cinema 4d and it got kind of everybody all buzzed about it so like oh my god dead mouse is using cinema 4d you got to see this so um that kind of turned into uh, a lot of people, uh, you know, tweeting at Dead Mouse and whatnot. And uh, as it turns out, he he was watching our tutorials, and so we kind of got in touch with him via Twitter uh, DM. And it turns out he's a fan of our tools and and our tutorials. And he had um, requested some features to be added to Signal. Those of you who don't know what Signal is, it's one of our plugins that we have on our website, and uh, they were kind of Cool and audio related, and this is where I'll hand it off to Chris because he knows more about it than I do. So you know, I'm not going to get I'm
1: not going to get super specific here, but it's all it's it's a new feature we're working on for Signal that involves BPM beats per minute. That's all I'm going to say. And who knows when it'll be out? We don't know. It's all tinkering and playing right now, but but it's going it's going well and it's fun, and I'm really excited to have a, a cool new feature in Signal. So.
0: Yeah, and it's it's super fun, and it kind of works really well with what we were just talking about in terms of music and things like that. And So if you don't know what Signal is, make sure after the show you, you go check it out. It's a really fun
1: animation tool. I've got another cool question queued up if you want. Go for it. Uh, from Ann Ike uh, is saying, Hi, guys. Do you... Have anything in particular that you wish you could spend more time doing or working on a particular project or hobby or software? And why don't we start with Nick on this one?
2: Hmm. Ooh, me. Um, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, you know, part of this road trip, um, and I've been doing this trip for, I think I figured out like eight years or something like that. Um, part of the reason. An eight this year trip?
1: trip. No, sorry. That was a bad joke.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, eight years in a row. Is uh, How do I say that? Annually? Um so part of the reason for this trip is is I kind of think of it like my New Year's. It's kind of my time to think about the year and what, you know, what happened and, and what I want to what I want to do with my life the next year and all those big questions, right? So um, for me stuff that I'm trying to work on more is t- talking to creative people and designers and 3D about this stuff that I think some educational platforms just don't uh, do very well, or they just don't have time to do very well. So for me, something I'm obsessed with right now that I want to do more of, that I wish I had more time to do more of, that I'm trying to find the time to do more of, is to talk about some of the parts of learning that I feel like don't get taught in in regular traditional school. So the, how to, um, like, here's one, for example, like how to be a self-directed learner, how to understand that that you want to go tackle a project and go make something. And then how do you give somebody the tools so that they could go learn on their own and be able to be successful at that?
1: Um, I, I think schools have a vested interest in not teaching that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it, that's kind of important. Like if, if they teach you how to learn. So, so for me, it, the way I like to say it is like, how do you learn how to learn? Uh, and so, so, you know, thing like, um, just Googling it, right? So I, f- I feel like so many students are uh, like disempowered or uh, uh, or not really taught how do you go find information and figure out if it's right or figure out if it's true or figure out if it's right for you. Um, that's something that is a really weird topic for me that I'd like to learn more of that I want to talk more about. And and the second thing is, um, for me in general, it's just like this idea of doing a creative job for a living. I feel like there's still this really kind of there's a still a stigma of like oh you want to go be an artist um good luck with that but come back home when you want to to, to go get a real job right I, I feel like there's still a lot of kind of family dynamic and social stigma about being a being a creative person for a living but but I feel like that's where all the best jobs are popping up that's where all of um like this is a bigger topic than we have time to do, but that that whole idea of like how do you, what's the path for people that want to be creative and go make stuff? That's been really really interesting to me, and it's something I'm trying to learn more of and talk more about. So, um, yeah, so hopefully look for more of, of, of more about that in the near future.
0: I I don't have much to add to that. That's kind of exactly <laughs>
2: like I mean
0: it. It's an interesting subject, learning how to learn. It's just something that I think a lot of us that are kind of, there's, a, it, it comes naturally to some and, and some people just need some tips in that area. And it, it's definitely, um, it's, it's a something that I have not seen tackled well um, online, at least uh, in person, you know, I've, I've gotten a lot of advice from people that, that, that helped me in that area and, and, i just I'm also just one of those people that never stops wanting to learn so it's it's I, I'm always looking up things to to try
1: to teach myself but right but the question is what's a project you wish you could be working on
0: Oh right um so a project I wish I could be working on Hmm. Uh, I think there's there's been a um like a little PSA kind of short thing, little film that I've been wanting to do and just haven't had time to really tackle and it's all up in my head and I just need to get it out and and do it. I just haven't had um the time to, to kind of dedicate to it. But yeah, it's like um I've been wanting to do something charitable and and make a piece of animation that raises awareness about Uh, a specific charity that that I um, think needs more attention and and it it's something that I just need to find time to do and that's something that I personally would love to see more animators doing um is is taking their abilities to tell stories and their abilities to to make people pay attention to things and, and using that for good causes I think that's a really interesting idea um Instead of maybe doing a spec piece or uh, that, that is centered around a fake product or a a tennis shoe, maybe getting in touch with a charity that actually could use the attention and figuring out ways to help them get their message out. um, Just sounds like a cool thing to do.
1: Yeah. That's a really cool idea all the time. I think even we as a group will be like, Oh, like if you don't have a portfolio, build your portfolio piece, like make, make a fake ad for Coca-Cola and now you've got no portfolio, but you know, Why not make that for Doctors Without Borders and then give that to them? And now it's real work. You know, of course, we're talking about a certain quality. You can't assume they're going to take it. But, you know, if you talk to them.
0: I mean, it was an idea that I had a while back, and it just seemed like... uh, Because at the time, I was, like, looking for something, a side project or whatever, and I went through that exact thing. I'm like, well, do I do a spec spot for, uh, I don't know, um, some brand? Or should I try to use my time... And give that to somebody that actually can use it to benefit people rather than
1: just to benefit myself in my in my own work. Anyway. Yeah. Well, now my, my answer is going to be terrible compared to donating your time for that kind of stuff. But <laughs> my, my, my pet thing on the side, well, I go through a lot of different hobbies and I always kind of cycle back around. But the one I keep going back to is I, I have a lot of fun tinker around in Unity, the 3D game engine. So I've, I've learned a bunch of code because of it and it plays really well with cinema 4d. So just kind of playing around and and tinkering with video game ideas, not that I have any like, like grand ideas or anything, but I just like sitting down and tinkering and, you know, making, making tiny little projects and being like, Oh, look, that's really cool. And it's a little playable game now. So I like jumping in and out of that. I don't have any big specific plan, but I like it.
0: That's cool. I wish I knew more game stuff. Definitely.
1: All right, so let's get back to the chat
0: here. Let me find a good question for us. I've, here. I've got
1: one. I, I keep trying to find one when we're <laughs> down. You got them all. So, yeah, but I've got a question here that I think is best asked, answered by you, Chad. Okay. Uh, from Inquisition, uh, they're asking, "What what do you think the future of 3D animation? How how will the future of 3D animation differ from present 3D animation? What do you want to change about the process?"
0: Mm, I think um, I think the future of 3D animation is going to be super approachable. I think that's and that, that's a horrible adjective, but um, I think it's going to be very approachable. I think that in the future, 3D is just going to be seen as another uh, form to create content, and it's not going to be seen as a big technical hurdle that you're going to have to learn, and it's going to be this crazy, complex process. I think there still will be room for for complexities in 3D. As the technology grows, so will the thirst for complex things. But I think it's going to become... Uh, a bit more ubiquitous. I think it's going to be, you know, not a big deal to add 3D to your, your video that you, you know, post on your phone or, or, uh, or whatnot. I mean, you're already seeing that with uh, Project uh, Felix from Adobe. You're seeing it in Microsoft adding 3D to everything that they're doing. Um, so I think that it's going to be much more approachable and it's going to be easier. The best part about it is it's going to be easier to tell people, the, what we do for a living <laughs> people yeah. will have people will understand it more i think in 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 the future which is kind of good because right now it's hard to hard to describe what we do what do you guys think about that
2: yeah it's gonna it's gonna go down that path of like digital photography and you know become more accessible i don't think it'll be quite as ubiquitous as like a, a digital camera but w- w- what's interesting to me is uh the automated 3d systems that are popping up that whole scene is really interesting to me like, think of Facebook. How many of you guys got the Facebook bit? Well, you guys aren't huge, big on Facebook, <laughs> I, I know. But you who are, um, you, Facebook is rendering out 3D animations that have your photos in them algorithmically. So Facebook has a robot that they built that is going and finding your favorite photos and all your friends. And there's literally, like, a dancing robot made out of all the photos of your friends that's this really cool animation. It's a 3d animation. And it's, it's made procedurally. it has to be right Like nobody's hand making these. They're, they're building an algorithm to go out and, and do this stuff. And I think that's kind of the future for a lot of simple 3D stuff is this ability to go like, here's my logo um, 3d robot and give me back like 10 different um, you know versions of it and then and then I could pick one for my client you know like off, on on the low end um and then on the high end it's just going to be it's going to move splintered out into all these renderers um but i mean that that's like that's not super far out that's like that's like the next year that's right. that's like the 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 simple stuff is going to get more uh is going to get cheaper to make and the and the crazy 3d stuff and the movie expensive stuff is going to get more realistic and more crazy but i feel like that's just stating the obvious but that's yeah. usually when whenever you ask whenever you try to like guess the future you're either super wrong or you're randomly right because you guessed right that's a difficult (laughs) question
0: i think that you know face you've got i think more people are used to dealing with content and media than they were five years ago ten years ago it's just it's just you talk to anybody that doesn't even do motion design or 3d or VFX and they know Photoshop enough to, to get something done. They know, um, how to edit stuff on their phone, how to edit video. It, it, it's just, you know, the, the, the bar is constantly moving and I think 3d is the new 2d. So uh, it's just going to be a given that my kids, kids are going to know some aspect of 3D is just going to be a part of what they do, whether it's VR, AR, or like you said, creating shareable content. It's going to be part of their live, their, their vocabulary. Um, it's just how deep do you want to go with it? Just like, you know, there's a, I can take a really good picture with my, my phone, but I'm not a photographer the same way that you're going to be able to do 3D. But if you want to be a 3D artist, you're still going to have to go in and, and dive deep. I think, Anyway,
2: well, if 3D uh, is the new 2D, then you know what's next.
1: 4D? Cinema 4D? That's right.
0: That's right, baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny.
2: I need to drink way less coffee, guys. I'm sorry. Yes, about you're out
0: of your mind. I hope you're not, <laughs> I'm not driving. I'm right a little, right
2: little now. batty. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not. Air out a little bit. Here
0: we go. <laughs> not, so su- not so safe. All right. Oh, so um, hit us up with some questions. We're checking out the chat again. I've always got one um, ready.
1: If you don't you okay, have one.
0: What do you What do you got,
1: Chris? All right, from Evan. He says, when creating portfolio work and applying to different studios, what should be the ratio of personal work and style compared to mimicking what's being done in the industry right now?
0: Hmm. So let me see if I'm understanding
1: this question right. Is
0: what percentage of their demo reel should be stuff from their own brain that they've made, whatever that might be? And what percentage of it should be them, you know, copying something that they've seen?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, like in the days when like suddenly everybody's filling up letters with liquid, like it was a very, it was a valuable thing in your demo reel to fill up letters with liquid or some variation of that. Or you could be doing some crazy stuff with like fuzzy orbs bouncing around, like, which is just a fun project for yourself. So yeah, should you cater to the industry as it currently is or go your own direction or, or what's the balance between the two? I'll let Nick start this one. I'm formulating.
2: Uh, I would say if it's a if you're having a question what it what I think what you're really asking is should I make it more general so that so that more people might hire me? Like if I show that I could do all these industry standard things. Or let's just take you for example. What's his name again? It's Evan. Evan, hey buddy. It, let's take you for just specific. If you want a more of a chance to get hired than show more of industry standard stuff that they know that they can hire you as a freelancer to do that specific trick if that's what you want to do for a living and that's and you're trying to get your foot in the door and this is your first gig be more spread out show your personal style show your work but also show that you can tackle real stuff if you're later down the road and you and you have more of an artistic ability and you're, you're a little bit more confident with your personal work, then that's the time when you want to start removing the things from your reel that you don't want to do in the future. So it, it, it's really based on you and everybody out there listening. It's like, and I think we mentioned this even last week, you, you need to put on your reel what you want to do because that's what people will hire you for. So if, if you really are not wanting to get a job doing standard stuff, don't put it out there. And if you like doing all of it, then put it all in there. So it just put, make sure you're putting on there what you like doing and that what you're best at. If you took, if you did a tutorial about character animation and you did that one character and, and it turned out kind of okay, and you really didn't like doing it, don't put it on your demo reel. So like, think of, think of it like that. Like, what is it that you want? And then you will draw the, the people, you will draw the people that are hiring to do what you want by what you put on your reel.
1: Yeah, well, I'll jump in before Chad does the kick-ass answer. But the, uh, I, I would also say that, yeah, once you're, once you're more established, then you can start pushing your style. Like, there are artists who can have a style, and they're constantly getting hired because different places want their style. And, but you're, you can't do that early on. Like, nobody's, nobody knows about your style, and nobody knows what you can create, and it's not a popular style. But if you're the, if you're the person who invented some look then you are the authority on that, and people are going to want to come and talk to you about it. So,
0: Yeah. I, I, I think both of you, I'm, I don't really have much to add, actually. I think that I'm fundamentally kind of against copying other people's work and putting it on your demo reel. Um, I think that let's say you're, you want to, let's say typography is your thing, and that's what you really want to do. I don't have a problem with you doing something in the style uh, that maybe um, is similar to something else that's out there, but put your own spin on it, put your own, put your own flavor into it and, uh, and make it your own because ultimately if you're, let's say somebody at um, I'll just use ILM cause it's the first thing that comes to my mind. If you're at ILM, the last reel you want to see is a bunch of, uh, a, b- a bunch of renders of the Death Star. You know, like you've, you probably get those 20 million times a day. Um, but you're really interested in seeing what this other person did that is maybe in the same genre, maybe it's still sci-fi, but maybe it's something of their own design, something completely original that kind of like, oh, that's cool, you know, I didn't, I didn't think about that. And that to me is, is, is really the idea of taking uh, what you want to do Um, and putting it on your reel, as Nick said. But try to make it your own. Do something that's creative, whether it's um, a look or an unexpected animation twist or something that makes it your own. Because uh, remember who you're sending your demo reel to or who you're sending your links to and what they probably see every day. And be aware of that in your head. Like if you're trying to get a job at PSYOP, imagine what the reels they must get every day uh, and try to make your stand out in a good way. And um, yeah, I mean, you guys pretty much said it.
2: I would, I would say ultimately what I saw, uh, and this is you know a little dated as far as how many years I've been out of uh, directly in the industry. But what I saw was the what they ended up hiring more of are people that are yeah they could go, they could do all that stuff they could do all the regular stuff. And they opt to pull off kind of the, the what was around. But what we what they were ultimately interested in is them having a point of view that was a beyond that. So that if a client came to them and said, Hey, we're we're generic client number five, can you make us this like shiny cartoony kind of thing that's kind of plain? They go, Yeah, of course we could do that. We have all the people in the world to do that. But but what they really wanted was to have a team that when the really cool stuff showed up, that that they could flex their muscles and that they're, and that they could tap the styles from from those people. So if you think of it that way, you do have to communicate that, yeah, of course I could pull off a uh, like you know a, a a type animation. That was the big thing in my day, right? Like timing type mm-hmm. to to um uh, lyrics or a, a conversation. Um That was like a thing you had to show. You just kind of had to show that you knew how to do it. But that was almost like a given at a certain point, and you had to really bring more of your style out to it. I, I I mean, ultimately, you're working with people, and I think people would rather work with somebody with a style and a and a and like that has their own vibe rather than somebody that could just do all the all the standard stuff. Yeah, I I think
0: aptitude. Yeah, no, the I like what you're saying, and tell me if I'm right. Is like you certainly have to have a certain level of ability in the job, whatever it is you have to be able to do, you know, the, that part of it, the, the lowest, you know, entry point, but then beyond that, you need to be adding something to the equation. Is that what you're saying?
2: It, 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 yeah. In other words, after they see your demo reel, it should be clear that you could pull off one of these standard effects, Right. Like, of course, like, of course, I know how to do that. But also what I also want to show you is some of the other style that I have. You know what I'm thinking of, too, is Peter Quinn did. Um, I think it was Peter did that video called sh- show reel, say. The, the like snarky. Sh- the, the parody
1: uh, demo reel.
2: <laughs> yeah, he basically made like a parody demo reel. And he, the whole thing was this really snarky, like, here's a here's a glowy sphere with displacement and here's liquid filling up in a jar and here's this that really weird um like keyframe thing that everybody does and he was kind of like making fun of it in a way but what he was really showing was that he was really good at those styles like in many ways his were better than what he was making fun of Hmm. and so through that he was communicating like of course i know how to do this stuff right of course but he brought his style to that and at the end of it, you're like, wow, he not, he could fill up a glass with liquid, but, but he's got something else going on here. This, this tone and this style and this snark and the, even just the way that it looked in the keyframes and the, the, the music, the whole thing was like, you're, you're peering into what he could actually do, but he was actually showing you all, he was actually showing you that through all the tropes. So I don't know if that's helpful, but that. Think of it creatively. Like if you're a creative person, you need to think of every part of your 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 presentation to a client as creative. If you're if you're being hired to come in and be a creative person, you should be impressive with your demo reel in some creative way, whether it's the like bring your art to that piece. That demo reel is one of the most important things you could build. Um uh, now I, now, now I need <laughs> I'm just getting I'm just getting upset. Yeah. Roll yeah, down the window. Them, I think give, give yourself pop. get yourself some air. Uh,
1: Wait, Chad, I'm gonna, I
2: got kick my I'm gonna kick my seat back. There you go. Oh yeah. It's gonna pass there out,
1: go, I think. Chad, got a perfect question for you to open up with here. All right, hit me. This is from Burn Force, and he's asking, How would you handle an artist that discounts certain applications you use, like a Maya or Moto artist that marginalizes cinema 4 D. How do you approach situations like these?
0: Um, I'm not sure if I understand that when you say the word. Well, okay. Discount, uh,
1: that like, mean like, so there's somebody in Maya or Max or Modo or something. And they're like, oh, like Cinema 4D, like whatever. Like that was so, me. So that's why, that's why I'm throwing this question at you, because that was Chad. Chad was that person. So, so what, what would have been ways that someone could approach you that would have broken through that shell and been like, oh, wait, let me check this out. I, I, so yeah, before I was, before I used Cinema 4D, which actually
0: it was like not that long ago i was on 3ds max before that i was on maya did a little bit of xsi all that jazz and i looked down on cinema 40 looked down my nose at it as if it were kind of a hobbyist program and like you know how how good could it possibly be you know it's it's not very expensive and it's very uh user friendly which to me at that time meant it must be simple and not complex and not a not not really something that a professional would use and i think it was around r16 that it popped up on my radar again and i was like hmm so you can do that in cinema 4d and then i saw all the amazing stuff that people were doing in mograph and i was like oh boy, that actually looks pretty good. And then you know, slowly but surely, I started seeing stuff that Nick was doing. I started seeing stuff that uh, a lot of other studios were, like tons of motion design studios started dropping Maya and Max and picking up Cinema 4D. And I just became a fan of their work to the point where I just started paying attention more to the software. And then around, I think it was 16, 17, uh, probably right when 17, maybe it was 16. I think it was 16 that came out. And I was like, all right, I'm gonna sit down and evaluate this because there were no freelancers that knew 3ds Max in Chicago, very few knew Maya. And I was like, Chicago is a cinema 4D town. I'm gonna look at this software again and just just come at it with a clear point of view. Sat down, opened it up went through my checklist of all the jobs that I... I basically looked at all the jobs I had done at that point when I was at Digital Kitchen that I had used 3DS Max for, and I one-to-one tried to figure out how I would approach it in cinema. And if it was easier or as easy, I marked that as a positive. And if it was harder to do in cinema, obviously that was a negative. Didn't have any negatives on the list. Everything was positives. Everything was either easier or as easy to do, uh, in cinema, and that's when I looked at that. And then on top of that, third-party rendering came out, which I was a huge fan of Arnold at the time and Octane. So it was just kind of a no-brainer for me to to kind of take it more seriously. I started learning it once I got my foot in that in the you know dip my toe into the cinema 4D pool. I was like, this is great. I didn't know they had layers. I didn't know they had takes. I didn't know they had a workable XREF system. I didn't know they had. Um, You know, all this third party stuff, X particles, everything that I was like, really kind of like freaked out about them not having they had. So it was misconception. And I think so to get back to your question, anytime anybody tries to uh, what was the word that they use? Discount or yeah, discount. Anytime anybody says that it's not a high end enough tool, I think just shows how little they know or how little they've experienced of, um cinema 4d because it is being used in a lot of different feature films in a lot of different areas, but feature films shouldn't be what everything is graded on because there's not very many people in the world making feature films. There are a lot of people making content, content for advertising, content for gaming, content for everything else in the world. And there are a ton of people using Cinema 40 for that. And I think that Cinema 40 is as easy as you want it to be or as complex as you want it to be. And that's why I kind of really like it because I can I can always figure something out because it's approachable. But then if I want to dive deep and get really crazy into espresso, there's that too. And um, anyway,
1: yeah. That's my answer. <laughs>
2: yeah, you know, what what was their what was their name again, Chris? Did it move? Uh
1: it was Burn something.
2: Burn. Burn. It Who it was, it was a made about?
1: up name. I don't think it was their, their okay. birth certificate name.
2: <laughs> Burn Mr. Burn.
1: Mr. Burns? Uh Mr. Burn Burns. Force. If
2: the other the, the other thing to think about, like I don't I I guess I don't understand the conceit of the question because if they're happy if your friend is happy with what they're doing and they're ha- and they have the tools that that make their job like they get their work done and they're fine and they're not missing anything in some ways that's kind of okay too. Like they don't have to use what you use. If it's a team, then yeah, like you should all probably use the same piece of software. So I guess I'm, I'm missing some details in the question of like why it matters, why it,
1: I think it's like, more like it, your friend is mocking you. He's using Maya and you just use Cinema but th- 4D. But that's
2: fine. But that's like, those are my favorite friends, right? Like like this happens in Canon and Nikon and like everywhere else in every part of the world. There's a Pepsi and Coke argument every time you, you decide where to go eat lunch, right? Like at a certain point, if you're happy with your your where you are, then it's you don't need to change. Chad saw... Are things that cinema did that he did a lot in other programs that was hard to do in other programs and so he opened up his his uh his mind to the possibility that this might be a good one he did the research and then he switched and what i would suggest for your friend is just to like if they're really that it's almost a political argument at that point if they're closed off to the idea that any new information w- will change their mind then that's not a fun conversation to have with anybody, right? So with Chad in particular, I've actually done that. Chad, the cinema is pretty good. It's actually picking up speed right now. And he's like, yeah, right. Right? And he wasn't ready. And it's not – he wasn't ready, and, and that's okay. But, but it, it, I, guess, I guess I'm missing some detail. But people come to, to different answers all the time. And actually, they're right many times. For many projects, depending on what they're working on, like Maya is a, re- a really good solution, or 3ds Max is a really good solution. If you're working in a j- huge, giant team or whatever, so for me, I, t- I tend to think it's like a political thing, and if, if they're not open to it, like I don't know, I would change the subject. Yeah, I, I, agree. What, I don't. So you I should, mean, shift change, over change to the religion the su- or politics. I don't think you should change the subject because I think the
0: real question isn't. It, you can just point the finger back to them and be like, well, what are? Why do you? Why would you not use the t- the best tool for the job? I mean let me just it is if you think that um, one 3d program can do everything and you don't need any other 3d programs, well congratulations you just found the best 3d program in the whole entire universe and everybody should use it because I've never seen one that does everything perfectly so oh,
2: but but it's, there's so many dependencies it's like what are they working on are they like, you know what I mean? Like uh, right. if they're doing and, more.
0: No, I'm saying like, if it's good for them, great. But the idea of, of, of saying that, I guess the argument is like, I don't need to know anything else because this software does exactly what I want it to do. I've never met anybody that could without and say that honestly, in my opinion, I've never met anybody that can say that and say it with absolute certainty. Um, because unless they're just literally their job consists of like the most simple thing, I don't, I can't see that. I mean, cause the, the industry and everything is changing so much and you need to know what, how to do this or that effect or this thing. And I, I just feel like I, I myself learned the only, and, and before I even jumped into cinema, I was learned I learned Maya and max because they did something that I wanted to do. It was like, It's like um, bringing it back to the music uh, analogy that we always seem to go back to. I wanted to be able to play this other song, and the only way I could do it is if I learned to play the guitar. So I don't care what instrument I play. I just want to play that song. So to me, I think people, if they're just open to... Um, the experience of like, okay, well Houdini is a good example for me. Houdini is starting to do things that I wish I could do in cinema. So I probably will someday learn Houdini because I don't care about the delivery mechanism. I care about the end result and I want to get to that result and make it awesome. And if that's the tool or instrument I need to play, cool, I'll figure it out. Anyway, that's how I, I wish more people would, would just kind of approach it that way. Yeah. It's politics.
2: It's, it's very it's a, a very similar to a political argument. It
0: can be
2: think one more question
0: Yeah, go for it. You got something or do you want me to dig one? Uh,
1: yeah, this I don't know we, we're already at one o'clock, so we, I don't know how much more we're gonna do. but uh, we got a question from Rick Simpson and this might be a little more directed over at Nick. Uh, and he's asking, should you post your work in progress stuff on social media, you know in portfolio sites uh, or only your polished sexy work? Uh, our mistakes, you know, our mistakes and hard work, sexy. And I want to kind of put a caveat on that of like factually like at Grayscale Gorilla, we often like when we're doing tutorials, it's like, Oh look, we mess it up. Let's go back and fix it somehow. So it works for us sometimes, but we, you know, if you were putting Instagram pictures up, what do you think on that? Well, my, my initial thought is
2: that all the Instagram and Facebook and all those things tend to be more for your peers and more to get the word out about yourself and your work th- to other people that do similar work to you. And I think in that way, mistakes are awesome. Behind the scenes is great. Like this didn't work. This worked. You know, I try. I I I looked for this. Uh, I looked. I tried to do this for three hours, and this is as close as I got. And then I woke up this morning and I figured it out. Like those are those are the most amazing stories to share with your friends and community and all that stuff. And then I kind of see the demo reel that we were talking about earlier as like the official glossy one that you want to keep a little bit more, you know, customer focused, if, if that makes sense. Like, so when you're doing all this behind the scenes stuff, I, I say go for it. I mean, any time that you can share something that you're learning um, and that you almost made it or this didn't work, I think that that's a great way to show people. What your what your interest is and what you're interested in, so I would yeah, say go that's for true.
1: it. Yeah, it depends on your audience, I guess. If you're if you're like a front facing studio, then you probably want them to be your sexy images because that's who you're talking to. But if you're you know if it's you're doing work and and a bunch of your Twitter followers and, and whatever are your peers, like like you can be rigging up, you can be animating this awesome character, and that final GIF of the character is going to be amazing. But I'm maybe even more interested in the screenshot you know, capture of it when you actually can see the joints and all the controls inside of it. And you see that moving around. It's like, Oh look, look at the rig that they built to for this crazy creature. Like I kind of like seeing that even more than maybe that final piece.
0: Yeah. yeah that's I, I like I, seeing those too. I think the the question here is like, what do you show your peers and what do you show your potential clients or potential employers? And I think that you just have to be careful about who you're talking to and where you're talking to them because Yes, absolutely. I love, I'm a peer. I love to see your behind the scenes screenshots of, you know, some rig or whatever thing you're working on. Not necessarily the thing you want to show your client or a potential client or even a potential employer, um, maybe a potential employer if they're peers and, and they would understand the process behind it. Just, you know, be wary of what's public facing true to, to get you work or get you, um, a job. And then what, what is going to build credibility in, in the scene um, with screenshots and sharing behind the scenes from a social uh, media standpoint, I think just be careful there, you know, just so you, you kind of have this, it, it's tricky, you know, you don't want, you don't want potential clients to think that you're learning the software. They're hiring you because they think you are an expert and will get their job done in a, in a, um, inexpensive and, and polished way, I guess.
1: I did get anyway. one, one more, and we we'll, we could roll. I don't have any queued up.
0: Let's see what. Let's see, I just had something. Um. Well, someone wants to know thanks when. For,
1: thanks for coming out,
2: by the way, everybody. Coming to the live show. This is awesome.
0: Um. Let's see. Somebody. Uh, let's. We have a question about LUTs. We have a question about. Um. Yeah. So when is GSG? Phil Roberts wants to know when is GSG LUTs coming out. Um, as always, we try to be pretty uh protect ourselves a little bit. Um, soon, I will say that within um 30 to 45
1: days, probably that's pretty specific. I'd say sometime in the next six months,
0: yeah, I'll go with that. Um soon um and you'll you'll hear about it i'm sure as time goes on that was a quick question um what oh here's a good one to end on what uh billy bolt wants to know what is your favorite pie flavor oh
1: nice
2: oh well
1: all right so who wants to go first favorite pie i I, I can i can answer that really simply and it's just it's just got to be a nice hot apple pie a la mode which we, I'm, I'm, I have a friend dinner night going on tonight, and we just picked that up for dessert. Like so, tonight I'm gonna have my hot apple pie mode. I'm super looking forward to it.
0: Tell people what mode is in case they. Oh yeah,
1: mode. It's just with ice cream. So you, pretty much, you just even if you just buy a apple pie from the store, toss a slice in the microwave, and then put a nice scoop of vanilla ice cream on there, and it's so good. blueberries is a co- close second, but ice cream doesn't go as well with blueberry. So if you want the ice cream, you got to go with apple.
0: Yeah, it's hard to beat that. I can't. I'm, I'm with you on that, Midwest yeah, I, man.
2: I, apple pie. I think they they there there must be some branding involved because I'm I'm having the same reaction.
1: Uh, I, yeah, <laughs> Dude, I think you nailed it. That hot and colds combined. Oh, it's so it's good. really good. All right, well there you go. It's unanimous. Yeah, Alamode, so,
2: yeah, Alamo is the key, man. You got to get the ice cream and the ratio is key. I like I like enough crunchy stuff. Like I like when the crust is real sugar like graham crackery like real crispity, almost burnt. And then you get the little ice cream in there.
1: Mm. Oh I think, man, I, yeah. I'm excited. <laughs> Dude, you're making me,
0: I'm so hungry right now. All right, so with that, you you just learned that the Grayscale Gorilla dessert uh, pie of choice is uh, apple pie, alimode. So if you ever see us in a public function, you're obligated to buy us a slice of apple pie. <laughs>
2: just oh, three yeah. spoons and we're all sitting there <laughs> sharing the same piece. Uh, that. You what should mark- add that to the
0: resource page. Yes, I will. That's going to be updated <laughs> later today. Anyway, uh, thanks for ev- thanks to everybody for dropping by. I see we peaked out at around 300 viewers. So thank you, um, everyone, for dropping by and awesome. checking out this live cast. It was kind of our experimental first thing. We'll probably do this a couple more times. Um, as always, uh, you can learn more about us at grayscalegorilla.com. Make sure if you're listening to us on YouTube that you subscribe and, and like and all those fantastic things. And if you're listening to us on iTunes, uh, drop us a review. Give us a tell us what you think. Yes. It, it helps us out, and we we love hearing from you. Um, so Nick, we hope you have a safe road trip, and don't uh, don't uh, I don't know stop for any questionable roadside <laughs>
1: food. Only only one hitchhiker at a time, Nick. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I barely have room here. It's all computer gear and water bottles right now, so it, I don't even think I could do that. I'd have to get in the back. I'm actually heading to Denver, too, and if you're in the Denver area, I think they still have tickets. Uh, Thursday, Wednesday, Tuesday, Thursday night in Denver, um, they're having a meetup, and, I'll, and EJ is running it, and I'll be there do, doing this, answering questions and talking about uh, 3D and design and all that stuff. So if you're in the Denver area, I'd love to see you guys. Um, I'm going to roll through. I'll be there. I'll be there today, uh, but I'll see you at, on Thursday. I got to make sure that's clear. I'll be in Denver <laughs> Tuesday. That's today. Couldn't be less clear. Or Monday. <laughs> the meetup. Uh, if you go to Chicago, if you go to Colorado C40 or something like that on Facebook, um, then, then uh, you could get tickets there. And I hope to see you. It's at a brewery. We could have a beer and say hi. So I hope to see you there.
1: All right, Chris, any last words? uh yeah if you got here late be sure to if you like these live streams make sure you check out ask gsg if you just search ask gsg i'm sure you'll find it somewhere uh which is a live show every do i do every wednesday where i answer cinema 4d technical questions and we try and create cool things for two hours uh so be sure to check that out uh and then got-
2: yes there you
1: go. And you go. Uh, and then I'm going on my first ski trip this coming weekend. So maybe next week I'm going to be like in a full body cast. <laughs> I'm fully anticipating that. So anything that's not that is a bonus.
0: All right. <laughs> we'll be looking forward to the uh, podcast in a cast.
1: Ooh, double cast. Ooh. Yes.
0: See what I did there? All right, everybody. Thanks okay. again. Uh, we'll see you at the next podcast. Again, happy 50th and hope you have a great week. Bye bye, everybody.
1: Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Thanks.